Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission, to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales enablement journey and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Julie Thomas. Julie and I, we're both veterans with Gartner, where she originally started her career and rose through the ranks to become the vice president of Gartner's sales training for the Americas. It was there that she first began applying the value selling program and she acquired that company that was at the heart of her training and it's called Value Selling Associates and she did that in 2003. Since then, she's led that company to perform um, many, many training sessions on value and is the leading expert and uh, leading advocate of value selling training worldwide. Uh, Julie's the author of the book, Value Selling, Driving Up Sales One Conversation at a Time. And she's currently working on her second book, which I can't wait to hear about and learn more about today. She's a sought after speaker, guest lecturer at both Babson University and the University of Michigan. And we are so honored to have her with us today. Evolvers, please welcome Julie Thomas. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Nice to be with you again. Thank you. So, you know, sellers are definitely facing a tough go forward environment. They're spending freezes, lower executive clip levels. Uh, there's the dreaded cross-functional approval board that has been affectionately called in many companies, the COVID committee. Uh, 47% of buyers say they've already put off one or more purchases due to the crisis. And I think that's just the start of it. So with more to come, there's definitely an increased need for a value-focused approach. Julie, what are you seeing with your customers? Um, absolutely. I think we're seeing um, that the need for, for value selling or understanding by sellers having the, a full understanding of the value they bring to their customers is more important than ever. And we're seeing it manifest in a couple of ways. You gave a couple of examples there as you talked about some of that and, and the delay of purchases. But we're seeing that sales reps, when they are successful, there's almost two sales they have to win. I have to win in my category. I have mm -hmm. to be you know, differentiated and they have to select me for whatever they're doing. That's the first sale. But then this second sale is this fight for, for capital and you kind of alluded to it with your COVID committee. Um, it's the fight for capital. So somebody's deciding, do we do project A or do we do project B? They're unrelated. And oftentimes the salespeople do not even have access to those people on the COVID committee. And if they did, those people have no interest in talking to a sales rep. Yeah, I'll completely agree with that. So the first element when a seller is going in to try to make this value connection, uh, value discovery is where it starts. But we see a lot of sales reps struggle with discovery in general, much less value-oriented discovery, particularly now with virtual meetings. I've seen a lot more show up and throw up presentations and demos and a lot less interaction and conversation. So talk about that and, and what you recommend. First, what is value discovery? Why is it so important? And, and how do we make sure this is a skill that's maintained through virtual meetings? 
Absolutely. So I, th I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. The observations that you've, you, you've nailed. And I think it's because they know it's so hard. Some sales reps believe it's so hard to get the appointment in the first place. I've got to make sure they understand what I do. And so they do that show up and throw up. Meanwhile, all they've done is annoyed the person um, and mm -hmm. failed to make those connections. So we talk about, um, the key, there, there's two keys I think that are really important. Number one, discovery has to be a process and not an event. So I often hear from sales reps, well, the first thing I'm gonna do is ask you a bunch of questions, then I'm gonna tell you everything I do. Discovery is, is, is more than that. It's not just at the beginning of the sales cycle, it's throughout the sales cycle as you get deeper and deeper understanding and insight from the prospect. Um, and how do you do that? It's by asking good, relevant questions to drive the conversation, um, which is really the foundation of what we teach, what to ask, how to ask, when to ask, and why to ask. Um, but in addition to that, one of the biggest challenges that a lot of reps have, and it's, it's true, significantly true in the technology industry, is they um, are so in love with their technology or their platform or their product that they fail to turn that into a business conversation of why that product may be valuable to begin with. Yeah, it's a lot about the what I do and what it is and not connecting with the why and those yep. business reasons. And, you know, nowadays, whether it be that executive approval or the COVID committee, connecting to priority buyer challenges is probably the key because I think we're going to see a lot of projects get cut, even if they're, they make sense from a business perspective, if they're not tying to the right challenges and aren't showing off the right business value potential, I think they're going to be a hard sell within the organization. But I've seen sellers also struggle not only with asking the right questions, but also connecting the dots between the challenges and the solutions. So, so talk about what makes good discovery questions first, and then how do you connect the dots then or recommend they connect the dots back to the solution? So, so there's a couple things uh, that I think are really important. Um, you know, Many salespeople understand, hey, I, I, I've got to find a problem. I've got to find the pain. I've got to find the challenge in order to, to, you know, understand if my solution makes sense to them. But what, what we're finding is not all problems are worth solving. Hmm. And so they have to not only find the problem and f uncover those challenges, they need to make sure that there is a clear connection in those problems to a recognized business imperative or mm -hmm. recognized business result or metric. And that's where the value conversation comes in, right? You and I both know, you might not wanna hear this as the ROI guy. There are things with ROI that don't get purchased every day. Absolutely, no, I and totally so, agree. And so it, ROI is a start, but it's not the finish. Um, we need to make sure that that ROI is recognized and, and that it is believable and, and all of those aspects of it. But the key is whatever I'm selling, it's got to be connected to a number, to a business imperative. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's kind of that, uh, a big top-down priority that they're looking to solve, right? Because these committees, these executives are going to say, well, that, that's, that has a good ROI, but it's not solving something that that's a priority for us. Why should we waste resources on it? Even though it's, it makes good fiscal sense, it's just not a priority. So it Absolutely. gets pushed to the we back all live, 
we all live with problems every day. We all, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you know, it's the way it is here. Or mm -hmm. I would love to, but this is not the, the top priority for us right now. When you think about it, when I was first introduced to value selling, um, I was a sales rep at Gartner, as you mentioned in, mm -hmm. the, in your opening. And our value proposition was very easy early on at Gartner. You'd go find the executives that were purchasing IT Mm -hmm. and basically say, how would you like to talk to an analyst and save some money? Mm -hmm. And that was really our, our value proposition was when organizations were in IT asset procurement, we could save them money. Because, I mean, we were talking about big assets, right? Yeah. Big enterprise software, big, mainframe. Big servers, mainframe. Yeah, yeah, big storage mm -hmm. devices, all that stuff. Um, I mean, I'm going to date myself. This is, you know, CIO wasn't even a person here. I was calling on the data processing manager and, you know, mm -hmm. in a garage off site in a, you know, big refrigerated building somewhere. <laughs> so, um, uh, but our, but our business was changing and our, our focus was changing. And so we were going to just uh, kind of that, that consumer report, let me save you money when you're making purchases to, hey, wait a second, IT is an asset and we can help you better manage that. We can help you better deploy it. We can help you get better value out of that. And in order for us to be successful to continue to sell and renew the Gartner services at the time, we had to elevate the conversation to the value of IT to begin with. Mm -hmm. So we first went through it because we could talk technology, we couldn't talk about business. Mm -hmm. And so that was the whole reason that Gartner at the time brought value selling into, into Gartner Group. And, and, you know, it's been the foundation of their sales methodology for 30 plus years because that, that connection is still critical and recognized by them. Yeah. And part um, of the reason why they grew from, you know, probably at the time you were there, sub $100 million company to now, is it $3 billion? Yeah, it's uh, huge. Two, two yeah. billion. Yeah, it's absolutely. enormous. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, so I think that's it. So sales reps need to know how to engage and ask questions and make the connection to what they do to business mm -hmm. and value by definition accru accrues to the business. ROI by definition is a financial calculation in financial terms that somebody is going to measure and sales reps need to be able to, and, and ROI is how your prospect at the end of the day just answers the simple question, is it worth it? Mm -hmm. If I have a million dollar headache, I'll take a hundred thousand dollar aspirin. But if I don't know how big that headache is and a sales rep just proposes a hundred thousand dollar aspirin, wow, Julie, that's awfully expensive. And so, you know, we're trying to teach them how to create that context, have that value conversation, make sure that value is believable, achievable, um, and then ultimately is more than whatever you're going to ask them to invest so that they are motivated to take action and move forward with the purchasing decision. Absolutely. So making sure you're uncovering those top in business imperatives that you're going to tie it to. And then from a business impact perspective, let's talk about that a little bit. So, you know, tying, basically making sure that you're quantifying the cost of do nothing, kind of the cost of the business problem that's being solved. Um, I think is really important because folks tend to move away from pain towards gain and then making sure that it's a relevant uh, impact that your solution can have uniquely, I think is the other challenge. Talk about those two things a little bit. 
Well, there's lots of different ways to 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 measure that business impact, and and you're right. Um, you know, kind of that opportunity cost, or what happens if we don't change, if we don't do something differently, is one way to quantify it. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that we often do with our clients is help them understand that there's multiple metrics if, that you can start to expand. So, you know, if I'm selling um, payroll services, there's there can be not just one metric that they're looking at and trying to find those a multitude of different ways to to um, create that value proposition. And that's what helps make that value proposition bigger than a bread box, if you will, and ultimately motivate them. And a lot of salespeople, they might get one of those value metrics, but it's 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 really opening their mind that there's there's not just one way to skin this cat. Exactly. So, so I know you've got a similar way where you kind of teach them to go across, you know, what it, cost savings, productivity improvements, process improvements, risk avoidance, business growth, and make sure that you're trying to hit on all of the possible challenges they might have because there's value you can provide in solving each one of those challenges, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. So let's pivot a little bit. You know, being the ROI guy, as you mentioned, I'm definitely into the numbers, but as with you, I believe you've got to tie things to a top priority and good ROI can get discarded. I also think that you have to use ROI as a tool or as a part of a bigger story, right? So um, one of the best techniques to sync with a buyer and to be seen as empathetic, be remembered, is with storytelling. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of neuroscience on that, how mm -hmm. if... I'm telling you a story, our brains will actually sink. They will paint identically. Uh, tell us the importance of uh, not just doing the numbers, but weaving this into a good story about the value, the value story. Absolutely, and I, I agree 100%. People love stories and people need to tell stories. One of the challenges that salespeople face is they wanna tell stories about their products. Um, we, we actually teach them how to tell stories about the value by focusing on the business. Nobody cares about your product, really. No, no, nobody True. cares. So they care about the, the problems they might have, um, your, your understanding of that, and then the impact that solving that could have. So we teach them how to tell those stories and actually turn their prospects and the customers into the hero of the story, as opposed to turn my product into the hero of the story. Yeah. Um, and, so many uh, success and stories it. are written that way, where the product is the heart and the hero uh, and you know, how the savings and everything get generated. I'm with you. I've started calling them hero stories um, just to begin at least, even if they're still crafted the old way, to try to get people to think about, well, who is the hero and how do we make them the center of the story as opposed to the solution being the center of the story? I think that's a really good pivot. And the numbers are there, honestly, the value quantification piece is there just to help tell that story. Um, but how you weave it into the narrative, I think, makes it memorable and connects with the buyer's pain and their challenges. Yes, and we agree. And, and then there's another component of value that we think is, is just as critical. And it goes back into that neuro, neuroscience, neuromarketing, and all of that work that's being done there. And that is one of our principles is people make emotional buying decisions Absolutely. for logical reasons. Mm -hmm. So you also have to hit on the emotional individual motivation. Everybody's motivated. 
and um, hit on the individual motivation. And then when that's high, it's amazing how the ROI becomes just plain, you know, easy to see for them. So we teach them not only is we call ROI the business value, what's the business measurement and justification of this, but you also understand if I'm talking to Tom, what is the, his personal motivation? Is he risk averse? Is he, or is he a trailblazer? And how does this help him achieve what he wants to achieve either personally or professionally? And how can I make that connection as well? Totally agree. So business value being kind of the ROI and the calculations, the personal values, the emotional impact of what it would take to get that person that you're talking to, to be the hero. And then when we think of organizational value, that's really that business imperative. And so I love organizing them into those three. So in a recent survey by Rain Group, 66% of the buyers say, that quantified value and ROI of a proposed solution, absolutely vital to sign off. I actually think it's higher than that now. But here's the kicker. Less than 16% of sellers are adept at delivering the quantified value assessment ROI analysis. And just in general, I think taking a really um, cohesive value approach with the customer. So how important is this, you know, how significant is this value gap, as I call it, that you're seeing between buyers needing it and sellers just not being able to deliver it today? Well, it's critical. It's what I call job security right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> <I was> fine, <laughs> um, right? <laughs> it, it's critical. And it's why, and sales reps don't even know, and some organizations aren't even aware that that is a missing skill set. Um, and, um, and it, but it's amazing. Um, it's, it's so important to win. And I mean, we're talking, our clients are companies that sell things that are as much business decisions as they are procurement decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so they're talking to the business decision makers. Is this a platform that you're going to run the rest of your business on? Or is this mm -hmm. a tool? We're not talking about inconsequential, really commoditized types things. Um, but it's harder and harder to differentiate the, our solutions in the competitive world right now. There's so many alternatives facing them that if we don't understand what the incremental value is, it only accrues to us, not just to the category, we will fail in winning that first sale that I mentioned um, and winning kind of the beauty pageant to even get to the next level. And, um, and it's critical. It's, it's yeah. absolutely critical. And what has to happen? They have to be able to have business conversations in addition to the technical or their, you know, product expertise questions. And yet most companies spend an inordinate amount of time on product training and very little time on how to have that business conversation. Yeah. Yet to me, Julie, I, I agree. You're going to have to eventually get to how is the product different. But to me, if you can create that different customer experience by the seller going in and knowing the right questions to ask to create a value map so that they're documenting, you know, the personal value, the business value, the organizational value to be able to do the quantification, the experience they have with that seller could be even more important than the product differentiator. So having a different um, seller customer experience uh, can be a bigger differentiator than the product. Talk, talk about that. Do you think that's true? 
I think customer experience is critical. And I mm -hmm. think that is a way that we differentiate ourselves right now. Um, you know, we know if we're a sales rep that shows up and throw up, you probably aren't getting that second meeting. Um, mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I talked with a client today that uh, was telling me about a situation where they had a sales rep go in and, and just, just blew the meeting, but just spent 30 minutes just talking, didn't engage at all. And not only did they lose that opportunity, it was like another two years before they could talk to anyone else back in that organization. Wow. So you might not just have a short term loss. You could, you could really hurt yourself for, for a much longer term um, situation. So um, how we sell is critical. And, you know, we've all become Amazon. I mean, Amazon, right? We all expect easy use. I can buy something. Sometimes I can buy it in the morning and it's on my front doorstep that afternoon. <laughs> Um, but we expect everything to be that easy. And, um, and so we have to be easy today. And, and, and I think, you know, when I think of what selling is and value selling is, it's facilitating a buying process. It's not me telling them what it is. It's facilitating them coming to those conclusions. Mm -hmm. And I think good sales reps are able to do that very, very well. It's a skill set. It's a mindset. I have to be interested. I have to be curious. Um, there are definitely some traits that come into that that can't necessarily be taught. You just kind of have to have it. Mm -hmm. um, but then, it, but then it is a skill set and a tool set that enables it to make it effective. Yeah, I totally agree. Skill set, mindset, tool set. The whole facilitation definitely comes from Gartner, uh, right? They're talking a lot about that. Hank Barnes and uh, some of the research he's done, and then beyond that, over at Brent Adamson. Um, they've talked about how facilitation is one of the biggest aspects today, because if you can simplify the process, uh, you're adding a tremendous amount of value because these purchases are seen as complex. And if you could find a way to help simplify all of the decision-making steps they have to go through, that's uh, a great experience that you're delivering and great differentiation as well. Um, I think as well today, because everyone is under so much strain, whether it be personal strain of having to deal with the crisis, worried about their job, the financial strain, uh, you know, even at companies that are doing well, day-to-day -day life has been disrupted in a way that there's that extra stress there. And that's going to amplify the perceived cost, risk, and complexity of anything that they're looking at. So if there's one big opportunity today is if you can simplify your solution and the choice and the whole process they have to go through, you are in an amazing competitive position at that point. I, I agree. I think, um, and I think that's a big part of what we try to do. Um, and I think that's why we're successful with our clients. Um, there, you can overcomplicate anything, right? Um, um, and, but, and, and that our approach, I think our elegance is in our simplicity. Now, simplicity doesn't mean simplistic, mm -hmm. nor does it mean it's easy. Mm -hmm. You still have to master the skills. You still have to have the discipline to execute and all that stuff. I mean, golf is simple. It's an easy game. You know, it's a simple game. Yeah, to the rules are it's quite simple. Yeah. Pretty, but if, if you've played it, it's not so easy to execute. You need to practice. You need to know what you're doing. You need to use the right tool at the right time. You don't use your driver on the green or your putter on the tee box, you know? So, um, you know, all of that is true. Absolutely. And 
you know, one of the things with the value approach is that it's still so easy for, comp, you know, a seller to show up and throw up. And how do we get them to ditch the pitch? How do we get them to really implement value selling, the quantification, you know, all of the things we want them to do? It still seems like it's too easy for them to fall back to old habits. Even after all these years of both you and I doing it, I know we still struggle at some organizations, not every organization, but some organizations with just adoption and, and change. Well, changing adult behavior is the hardest thing on the planet to do. <laughs> and if you're married or if you have adult children or anybody, you know that, right? Um, uh, and knowing what to do and doing it are two different things. So training, you know, and that's the core of my deliverables or training is the beginning of the process, not the end. And I think so many people underestimate how hard it is to get adults to do things differently. So you mm -hmm. need to really build a robust process around it, enable it, coach it, reinforce it, recognize it, set expectations, role model it, all of that stuff. So it, it requires leadership. And, um, there are still a lot of companies that will say, I'm going to check the box. We trained them. And then they don't manage to it, expect it, coach it, yeah. um, and all of that stuff. And it's, it's, it's crazy. But that, that reinforcement is key. And Absolutely. I know that when you start looking at, you know, books or studies on habits, um, mm -hmm. it, that's really what it comes down to, right? It's, it's creating good habits and um, habits take longer to instantiate than yeah. people think they do. Um, That's why Weight know, Watchers is still in business today. Yeah, if it was easy, you would do it once and you'd be done, right? Done, yeah. But 90 days is the short side of a lot of the studies. Right. I mean, many of the studies are 120 days to six months to, of constant trial reinforcement doing before that habit will actually stick. And, well, and I think there's a bigger complexity when it comes to sales because salespeople can get rewarded by doing the wrong things. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all seen a sales rep get an order mm -hmm. because the customer connected the dots, not because of the salesperson, but in spite of them. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, there are times when the wrong behaviors get reinforced or rewarded based on results. Um, and, and, and that's part of the challenge. And somebody says, well, it worked last week. So why do I have to do it differently this week? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is also another component that, that people need to think through. Um, and, and there are some companies um, that, that will say, as long as you're delivering the results, I don't care what you do. So, you know, mm -hmm. be ethical. I'm not saying they're I'm, sure. I'm promoting unethical behavior, but, if, but you don't have to sell on value if you, can if you overachieve your number. And, and you know, I've worked with a lot of companies, that's their culture. We say it, mm -hmm. but then the reality is we'll recognize results no matter how they get here. Yeah. But eventually I think that will catch up to them um, because we know that transactions, transactional based approach you know, is it today that it won't work? Is it tomorrow that it won't yeah. the day after? Uh, eventually it won't work. Um, and particularly now that we're in a remote and digital world, you know, 80% of the selling according to Forrester now and going forward is going to be digital and remote and digital replaces out the seller uh, sometimes, maybe, right? But uh, remote is a whole different world. Now you're selling through a 13 inch monitor instead of in person. 
And a lot yeah. of the skills that those transactional or relationship oriented sellers relied on may not be as effective in this new environment. I, yeah, I'm not sure I completely agree with Forrester's assessment there. Um, I, there, there were a couple of analysts a couple of years ago that said, you know, B2B salespeople are gonna go away oh, yeah. in a short I, period of I've time. I've interviewed and many of them. <laughs> I, I didn't agree with that either, but I, but I do think it's changed. I think companies are recognizing, I don't need a posse of people to get on an airplane and fly to LA for a one hour meeting. Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, so I do, I do think that that this is here to stay, um, and I think we will go back to some sort of a hybrid model, because um, I do think people are people. I mean, I'm an extrovert. I, I mean, I can't wait to get back in a room with my colleagues and give them a hug or a high five or rub elbows, whatever it is I'm able to do. Absolutely. I miss being with people. Yeah, you're fueled by that energy. And ex extroverts, I think, have struggled. I had a, a conversation with Marianne Benella. I don't know if you know her, she's in MarTech. And she was saying that like the folks that have struggled through this, the extroverts, because they, they build energy from people. Me, I'm more balanced and maybe even a little bit more introverted. You wouldn't know yeah. that with my outside persona, but, um, you know, so I don't necessarily need that interaction to get energy, but yeah, as an extrovert, I could definitely see that being a challenge and you wanting to rebound and get back out there even more to make up for it. To a certain extent, I mean, you can, we've had tremendous success and we redesigned every one of our programs to be, to be virtual. Yeah. I retrained every one of our associates on virtual facilitation. We did mm -hmm. not just move what we did in the classroom to the platform. Mm -hmm. We we redesigned Smart. it to leverage that and 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 we're getting great feedback. So um, so we are having tremendous success with our virtual instructor led programs. And we have a lot of clients that are saying, you know, we love it. As a matter of fact, we love it as much, if not more mm -hmm. than the face to face. And we will continue this even when travel comes back. We'll still get mm -hmm. people together. Yeah. But we might not fly them, you know, to Chicago for two days to do training anymore. We may mm -hmm. leverage this this new way going forward. And they're saving so much money. Yeah. Think about it. If you if you have twenty people all together just feeding them. Mm -hmm. You know, for a lot of our clients, they spend as much on travel and and the logistics and the facilities for a training as they do as they, on your course. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, a lot of that becomes, um, uh, you know, really, really, um, you know, it's, it, I think people love it. I do think, you know, but I, but I think we'll be back to a hybrid. I do think there will be times and certainly certain large, big enterprise deals where people will want mm -hmm. to look people in the eye, not on a screen, shake mm -hmm. their hands and say, you know, are we on the same team working towards the same objectives? But it'll be different. Yeah. It'll be different. I agree. Definitely. What's the one piece of advice, Julie, that you'd like to leave our Evolvers audience with today? Well, in addition to really focusing on the value, I think it is critical that you are consistently and continuously qualifying your opportunities. One of the things I said after the pandemic hit is everything in the pipeline had to be requalified. There is not, I don't care what anybody says, um, uh, you know, there is not one executive in January or February of March that foresaw that we would still be working out of our homes in, in September. Agreed. Kids wouldn't be back to school. We, you know, all of that. So every business imperative, every business imperative changed 
from the second, third, fourth quarter from what it was in the beginning. So, <laughs> so that qualification, I think, is really critical. Are we chasing our tail with winnable opportunities or do we need to go out and find some opportunities that are winnable? Yeah, get realigned and understand that business value, organizational value, and personal value in this new world that you're going to deliver and then requalify every single one of the accounts with that lens. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Because really reality smart. is some companies are doing really well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's counterintuitive. I mean, certainly industries are getting crushed, in, you know, hospitality and the travel industry and, and, you know, so, you know, but industry by industry, but technology companies are, are doing well. I talked with yeah. a guy to, that does a distance learning type technology. I was exploring it and he's, he's basically an order taker right now. And he's, he's right out of the gates. If you want one of these, Julie, you probably won't get it till January. That's how, how backlogged we are. Yeah. So you know, it's interesting. Completely agree. Julie, how can people find out more about you uh, and connect with you, first of all, and then Value Selling Associates? I couldn't uh, promote that more. So perfect. Thank you. Well, if you're interested in learning more about Value Selling Associates, please visit our website. It's valueselling.com. Pretty easy. We've got a lot of free resources on there um, um, that you know, we would love for you to be able to have access to, including a podcast and webinars and white papers and all that stuff. Um, in addition, you can find me. I'm Julie Thomas. I'm on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn. And, um, but you can also just send me an email. I'm one of those people that would love to hear from you. So my email is pretty straightforward, julie at valueselling.com. And, um, I answer my phone, I respond to my own emails, and I'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, Julie, an absolute pleasure. So great to connect with you here today for our Evolvers audience. Uh, thank you for joining us and participating to make the Evolvers a great and growing community. And until next time, Evolvers, keep evolving.